Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. something that seems to be a little complex. It's uh, not something that we have to grapple too much with to understand what Jesus is teaching, but it does seem to uh, the casual reader that doesn't spend much time looking at what is being said, it is something kind of casual and uh, a little hard to understand. Start with verse 30. And the Pharisees and the, sad, and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Now, every time that you start a study, you have to look at what's said around it, before it, and after it. But what is, being go, what is going on here is that Jesus recommended, as John baptized, these Pharisees and Sadducees and publicans be baptized of John. But they decided they weren't going to obey the law of God, and therefore they justified God in not being baptized if their hearts were hard and if their hearts were malleable and uh, that which God can use. They justified God in being baptized. But in verse 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of John. And the Bible says, and the Lord said, Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We've piped unto you, and ye've not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye've not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath the devil, but the son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of the publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Of what is Christ speaking? If you've not read and studied this, you're going to find this, I think, an interesting study. There is a grandeur that the use of the commonplace cannot attend. There is an inherent dignity of truth that demands no compromise. In fact, when truth is asserted, it demands that the lover of the truth enforce what is said by presence, by offering, and by spiritual strength. Here, the messenger censors the audience to which he's speaking. 
or the preacher actually scolds the listener. The Jews made a, a, zet, a jest out of the way God meant to call them to repentance by them being baptized of John's baptism. And because of that, Jesus said, how is it I can help you? What is it I can do for you? Everything that I've said, you've rejected and turned down. If God came as a soldier or a great king, the pretenders, the false, and the undeserving would have obeyed him. But Christ came as the one that was pure in heart, and they rejected what he said. When he talked about John, he was talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came and was stern. He was not a pleader. He didn't offer them things that would touch their heart to cause them to mourn. And neither did he come casually, socially, being involved with anybody that was listening to him. So he was not eating or drinking. Being austere, John was aloof. When he called sinners to repentance, it was to show that they needed to do what God had commanded or be condemned. And he had no sympathy in his voice. And there was no recitation of poetry or the telling of sad tales or the means of trying to get to the heart of the individual as he spoke. So said of John, he hath the devil. Now, if you don't know what that phrase actually refers to, you might look at the qualifications today of a lot of people and they will say, he's mean as the devil. They actually accused John the Baptist of being mean and austere and stern. And the people justified themselves in rejecting what John preached as the forerunner of Christ only because they didn't appreciate the manner or the attitude with which he went about his business. They said, we got reason to complain. We got a reason to be dissatisfied. But since he was the best that was available, he was the one to which they ran to listen. Yet the Pharisees and the Sadducees rejected him. Now, the great ones of the church sometimes reject the preaching and the baptism of the plan of salvation. And like John the Baptist, they think there's other ways of accomplishing the same purpose in a better manner. And then when you go to the church that claims itself to have been started by John, which is the Baptist church, they are teaching the same doctrine that these people claimed John was offensive in preaching and wouldn't listen. That is, they don't believe baptism has anything to do with salvation either. So it still seems that they have the same idea. So John came, and he was mean. He was austere. 
He was severe and he was aloof. He offered no compassion and didn't try to tell them things that would melt their heart in obedience. So Jesus said, I came. John had come mingling with men. People said they had a complaint they could register against God, which would have caused them to have every right not to have done what John commanded. But then Jesus came. Jesus was a friend of sinners. A more joyful note to the sinner had never been heard. Or, as the scriptures say, he was a piper to them. Or he was a one that sang a tune of melody which would cause them to be desirous of what was being said. Then Jesus said, you know what you boys call me? A wine-bibber and gluttonous. Now the generation would not lament to John nor dance to Jesus. Hence they were a generation that was impossible to please. God did not try to please man. Man should try to please God. And these people had the cart in front of the horse because they didn't have any way to decide from any reason they could see that they should serve God. Should it not be that Jesus and John should have been the complainers instead of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Now the Jews, the, the generation who were the children sitting in the marketplace, that is, they were sitting around listening to the preaching being done. They were the ones that were doing the mourning and the piping. God had awakened them out of their stupor, and they didn't like it. So Jesus said, what am I going to do this generation? They didn't like John, and they didn't like Jesus. And it wouldn't have mattered if anybody else would have come. They wouldn't like them either. Now, you know, people, there's sometimes that you can't ever satisfy a person particularly when they intend not to be satisfied. There are some times when people won't be happy because they just intend not to be happy. They like not being happy, and they like to complain. So Jesus likened these people to some complainers that we want to talk about for the time we're here this evening. You see, the Jews wanted John to be laxer, Or they wanted him to kind of let up a little bit, to be less stern, to soften his message of repentance. He was just too rigid, too strict. And when he preached, he read the summons aloud that they needed to repent of their sins. And they piped, or that is they complained about John. And then complained that he would not dance. That is, he would not change or relax his stern preaching. If you will let me be God, they said, then I will allow you to reach me. But if you're going to let me be God, I'm not going to listen to you while you're preaching like you are. I'll just have to have you relax your word, your uh, teaching.
teaching and your doctrine a little bit. And if you don't, I'll leave. Now, the Bible says John was not a reed shaken in the wind. That is, he was as firm as a rock. He was not fickle as a reed. He was unparalleled in self-denial. He didn't come clothed in soft raiment. And he did not live delicately. Look at the 25th verse. And Jesus said when you talk about John the Baptist, you're talking about not just a prophet, but more than a prophet. He by himself had prophesied and preached repentance and remission of sins to serve notice that the kingdom of Christ was on its way. But he had to preach that it was not of this world. So John being more than a prophet, he was a more of a teller of events that was going to damn these people. And as he was preaching this message, they didn't want to hear what he had to say. John preached warning. John preached repentance. John intimidated his audience. Because he preached right down to their middle of their uh, hearts and caused them to see that before God there was a giant guilty distance. And so they complained. But Jesus came with the glad news. He came a bringer of joy. He came with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached and they didn't like him either. They said, you're too soft. You're too pleasing. You're bubbling over with this love business, and we don't understand that. You said they want him to change too. They mourned to him, but as John would not dance to their music, Jesus would not lament to their mourning. So what were these people going to do to be saved? You see, when the guilty gets to tell the innocent how they're going to be satisfied, you have the same situation or circumstance as you do with John and Jesus. There's people that I know in this world who are not happy. And instead of being satisfied with what God has given and how much he's loved, they decide that they're going to jump on the righteous people to tell them how they can make them happy instead of looking to God and letting God tell the sinner what to do. So it is now. The message they say is too severe, too strict. Or if you go the other way, they say it's too lax, it's too free, speaking too fast put too much doctrine in it, quoting too many verses of scripture. There's just some people you can never please. You ever notice that? It's either the feast or the famine. But there's always one thing that's consistent. Criticism is always the same. Now, you wouldn't think that the Lord would have run into an audience with his ability to speak his use of words, his understanding of what the will of God was and would have run into people that he could not get through to. 
Yeah, we can look at old John and say, hey, a little hard number, just a dab. I mean, you know, he told them that they were snakes and vipers and, you know, they were just the filth of the earth and a little rough. And you can see why that might offend these conscientious people. But when the Lord came, they were still offended. So Jesus said, wisdom is justified or defended by his children. Now, what does that mean? God reaches the pure and doesn't involve the pretender. The God of heaven is wisdom here personified in Christ. Wisdom sent not John only, nor Christ only, but one and the other. John, the preparatory work of Christ, and Christ, the finality. And by handing that generation over from one to the other, God's dealing with that generation accomplished a divine purpose. It justified God in condemning that generation. Those who accepted the teaching, and many did follow him, repented and were baptized for the remission of sins, declaring that when the kingdom of heaven did come, they'd be obedient to God in that kingdom. Others who, it didn't matter who would have preached to them, they would have never been happy. Justified God in condemning those who didn't accept the gospel that was preached. The justification of wisdom's way in the face of gainsaying people is something that God has always has asserted. I've been in the preaching of the gospel for many years and sometimes say, well, you preach too hard. Some people say, well, you preach too easy. So, you know, and you know, the thing that you've got to do as a preacher of the gospel and as a servant of Jesus Christ Well, Paul told his son Timothy, pretty simple, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering. Now, Timothy, he said, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears who will draw away disciples after them. John bore witness of Christ, and Christ applauded John for that fact. He had done what God had sent him to do, as God sent him to do it. And there was nobody who could bring a charge against God for not preaching the truth. It was just the way he did it. The very men who claimed John was crazy... Turned around and called Jesus corrupt. (laughs) His morals were not right. There was something that was wrong. He was a glutton and a wine-bibber. Ill-willed people never speak well of truth-seekers. If they're out to get you, they're going to get you. Wisdom's children are unanimous, one and all. They all are anxious for the truth. You can't preach it too straight 
for them. Or you can't preach it with too much love. You can't use too much of the word of God to support what's being preached. Nor can you use enough sympathy and compassion for them at any time. And they don't have a made-up mind. And to preach God's plan with the divine wisdom that God has given in fervor and conviction in which it was given will cause them to think more highly of you than anybody that you might know. We're the people who never intended to obey God to start with are no worse off for having heard the truth even though they ridiculed you. You see, what God is saying, Jesus speaking, is a reiteration of Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. Have you looked at that verse lately? The Bible says, Jesus says, My word will not return unto me void, but will accomplish the purpose whereunto I sent it. Now, as we're talking about this tonight, one of the purposes that Jesus had in sending John was to wake them and shake them up, to get them stirred up, to get them ready for the kingdom of heaven that was coming. And John came with all the strength and fervor and all the enthusiasm of the preacher. And he called sin, as they say, by his first name. And he wouldn't let down and relinquish. And somebody says, who are you? He said, I'm the messenger of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And when John preached, he preached with a sharp knife. And he actually cut the sin loose from their heart. But because they loved it so much, they wouldn't get it out of their system. And they complained to God. They say, it's too much, God. We can't have a preacher like him. And when Jesus came, Jesus came preaching love, preaching devotion, preaching consistency. And the people that heard the message of Jesus were not satisfied. They said, you know, he just, he's not preaching right. There's something wrong with him. He must be a sinner or he wouldn't be in the situation that he's in. So in that situation, nobody was ever pleased. If you don't have anybody to please, but God, you don't have to worry about either. As a preacher of the gospel, who do you try to satisfy? I learned years ago that you preach it too straight and some of these saints are going to sit back and say, well, hey, nobody will hear that and obey it. And then I've seen these others try to preach it to be so liberal and so appeasing that it's nauseating. And then you see the reaction or the result of their preaching on the congregation to which they preach. Nobody actually believes anything. So the simple thing to do is just take Jesus' words for it. Wisdom is justified of her children. In other words, preach the word. Do what God commands. Satisfy Christ. Preach the way the Lord would preach. Tell them the truth with all the love that you can garner in your heart. But never bow down and take a step backwards when it comes to defending the message of God. 
and the children that are of God will justify God by obeying that kind of preaching for those are the kind of children that he has. But these other people, what are they? I've often wondered. I've often thought if they're not the children of God, they're the children of Satan. And they get into the church just like the tares get into the field. And they try to stop the preaching of the gospel by the influence that they have in trying to get the preacher and the message to be too soft and too sweet. And they're afraid. Afraid of their own shadow. Afraid that the gospel won't be believed. Instead of being afraid of the God that is of the gospel, that if they don't preach it in the manner that he commands, they'll be damned. So Jesus said, here you got a situation. You boys don't upset me at all. I know you don't like my preaching. I know you don't like John's. But the children of God will like both. And then they'll do what God has commanded. And they'll repent and be baptized. Or they'll serve God in any capacity that he demands. All they want to do is hear the word. Tell us what God says. Feed us from the pure water of life. Let us know the book, chapter, and verse that will cause us to have peace with God. Because you're the best friend we've ever had in this world. And those are the children that you'll be able to reach with the gospel. You run into a lot of people that don't want to obey the gospel. They don't want to be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, they really justify God because God said he that believeth not is condemned already. And if they don't intend to believe, God's justified in them being condemned. You see, he didn't condemn them. They condemned themselves for not believing in the only begotten Son of God. But then the people that will love God and will hear his word and will obey him, these people will be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And again, God is justified. Because those are his people. Those are the ones his son came to purchase. And they're the ones who will make up the constituency of heaven. So Jesus is right. Wisdom is justified of her children. If you want to be a member of the body of Christ or if you want to be saved, you want to do what God has commanded, the preacher can't preach it too strong for you. He can't preach it too long. It's going to be just like baby bear soup. It's going to be just right every time. If you're here tonight and need to respond to the invitation, will you come as we stand and sing? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We hope you have profited from today's study of In Search of the Mind of God. If you would like a recording of today's program, please visit our website, our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, or even our YouTube channel. Remember, never take man's word, only God's word, the Bible. Demanding a book, chapter, and verse for everything you accept on its belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast, In Search of the Mind of God, with graduated preacher, 
Joe Wilson. Good evening, and thank you for being here this evening. We appreciate all those who have attended. And for those who are not here yet, we hope you can tune in on in YouTube land so you can help and, and, and learn to study with us. We may be able to help you understand things that you've not yet figured out for yourself, or you may have questions on that you haven't had a chance to study on. Tonight is what I want to ask is, why do we attend? Because usually on Sunday morning, everybody gets up, they go to church, and they quote-unquote get it out of the way, and then they go home. And you, you rarely see them come back in the evening. So why do we attend? I run across people all the time that mention they listen to the radio program we put on the radio. I ask them, well, if you're listening to the radio program, why not come and hear us? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I wear deodorant. I brush my teeth before I get here, I promise. The question always goes unanswered. And most of the time, the answer is, well, we have too much to do on Sunday. It's my only day off. Well, let's take all things into consideration. Look at the scripture, for as we know, a man's opinion here means nothing in the Word of God, and we are to obey the Word of God and the Word of God only. Man can make mistakes, God cannot. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What does this mean? What does this mean to exhort one another? Well, if we've got a brother that's weak or a sister that's weak, this, that's maybe lives, let's just, let's, since we're going to make up all these scenarios, we'll just make, we'll, we'll create some wild ones at night, all right? So this, this brother or sister lives next door to you. They're having problems. They're not coming to services like they should be. Or this brother and sister uh, live just across the street from the church building, and they're, they're one of your close personal friends. They're looking for your car. What happens when they're looking out the window and they don't see your car pull into the church building? Did you exhort that brother or sister? Were you, were you the example that that brother and sister needed to stay home? Or were you the example that that brother or sister needed to go ahead and walk in the doors, repent, and potentially spend eternity with God, God Almighty. The answer to the question in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, yes, it is a commandment to attend services. This morning I went over, uh, we were, I was talking to a fellow this week, and he was talking about the church of nature. So I asked him, I got in his truck, I said, how come you're not coming to services? Because he keeps promising he's going to come to services like many others. And uh, he says, well, I haven't gone to church in 15 years. This is a young guy, which probably means he hasn't been to church since he's around 15, 16 years old. He says, we started a tradition on every Sunday, we go to the Church of Nature. I giggled, I said, I got to know, what's the Church of Nature? He says, that's where we go out and we enjoy God's creation. I said, so you're telling me you insult God by turning down the opportunity to worship him but yet you call it worship by going on a boat and doing exactly what he told you not to. He kind of looked at me and he said, yeah. I said, why don't you try coming to services? That's what's commanded. Amen? So yes, it is a commandment to attend services. We are to provoke unto love and good works. Verse 24. How can a person provoke? How can a, how can a person lead from the couch? What good works come from laying out a church 
and not supporting those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And let's ask ourselves, as we read this, I'm going to stall for a minute to give you a chance to turn on over there. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. But I want to ask yourself something. Now that we all know, this is in Acts chapter 2, and this is the day of Pentecost, A.D. 33, 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. That's what history records, and that's what we can prove. What would have happened if these boys said, Ah, I'll get there tonight. They're not going to miss me. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. You see, folks, we are given an example here on how to worship. Look at verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord and breaking of bread from house to house to the eat meat with gladness and singleness of heart. What would have happened if they had stayed home on the couch? Could they, could they have continued steadfastly at all? Could they have exhorted their brethren? Could they have studied to show themselves approved? Could they have taught those that did not know the word of God the plan of salvation? Could they have been a useful tool for God Almighty to grow the church of Christ, which he shed his blood for? You see, it's not just here to come to a social club. That's not what we're here for. We're here to worship spiritually. We're here to grow spiritually. We're here to teach those and exhort those that may be weaker than us. God forbid that it all be about us. It's about the church. You cannot be on one accord or with one goal, which is eternal salvation, by missing missing the gathering of the saints. You cannot put something else before the service of God and expect Him to bless you. What do we gain from attending church services? After all, we're all here. What are we going to gain from it? Let me ask you this. Why do you have to gain a thing? Why isn't it about the the cause of Christ? Why does it always have to be about the man? Growing up in today's world with all the hate and deceit, this should be obvious. What we do gain, though, because God never leaves something empty-handed. We gain freedom. We gain the ability... To be free from our sins by the knowledge of what's in the scriptures. The Bible is looked at as a mysterious book for religious and for the religious elite, for the religious elite, if I could talk this evening. To translate it to us dummies, thus simple-minded. But let me inform you of something. It is not a mysterious book, but more of a blessing than we can possibly imagine. For we were before we were obedient to the whole plan of salvation, we were enslaved by sin. Which is why attending has given us freedom. Imagine, if you will, living as a slave. Each day you wake up and you're forced to do heavy work for your master. The work is not for you. It does not help you in any way whatsoever. As a slave, you are bound to your master for life. There's no way or no possibility for escape. You cannot buy your way out of the situation. Each day you simply serve your master doing his bidding. You do not have the freedoms that others have. By missing church services and fellowship with the Lord and his saints, you and you alone are allowing yourself to be enslaved by this sin which you're trying to escape. To put it very simply... You were worshiping 
when you missed the services, you were worshiping the wrong God. The simple Bible truth is this. When I'm in the presence of the church, I'm in the very presence of God Almighty. Because this is His church. This is the church that He bought with His blood. And here He is in front of us. But church attendance is not the real problem. The failure to attend each worship service is just a symptom of, some, of a much bigger problem. The heart of the problem is that people don't truly love God. You know, this evening we were starting out by faith. Faith is to trust in someone, to need someone to do something. By not having this faith, or by not having this trust, you are insulting the very God of heaven that created you and allowed you to have the opportunity to serve and to attend these services. These people are no longer thankful for His redeeming blood. There is a picture painted in Psalms 116 of a man who understood what it meant to truly serve and love the Lord. If you want to turn with me to Psalms 116. What we're going to find is we're going to find David. And we had a lesson on David this morning, and we found out the character of David. David was a man after God's own heart. David would have never missed a church service. David would have been here 15 minutes early, rattling the doors trying to get in so he could be part of the family. The problem with David is David was born just a little too early. He didn't have the same opportunity we have that we're so ungrateful for. Psalms 116, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Verse 4, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore, I have spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, All men are liars. Verse 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of His benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows. You see, this is David with the right mind, mindset, the right heart, looking to do what? Looking to serve God, not looking to be served like many of us try when we try to come through that door. I will pay my vows on the Lord now in the presence of all of His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, truly I am Thy servant. I am Thy servant and the son of Thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to Thee the sacrifice and thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows on the Lord now in the presence of all of His people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of Thee, O Jerusalem, Praise ye the Lord. Here we find a servant of God that is not ashamed to serve his master. You notice I emphasize verse 12 and 13. There, are reasons for this. there is a reason for this. God has done so much good for the psalmist 
that he had done for all. He set him free. To give him encouragement, in fact, the psalmist owes everything, just like we do, to the Lord. Then he essentially says, because of you, I want you to see that I do owe you something. I can render my faithfulness to you. He says, I will pay my vows. That is, in everything he had vowed to do, he would stand by his vows and be faithful to them. And in showing his faithfulness to God, everyone, those that see you pull out your driveway, those that possibly live next door to the church building, those that are weak and ill spiritually in the church, could see your faithfulness by attendance. You see, folks, it's not just merely that you're here. There's a, much, there's a much bigger picture at play. Because people know who you are. We are children of God. And by claiming to be children of God, essentially, all you've done is put a target upon your back. You've told people, I'm going to be the one that's the example for you to follow and live by. Don't be the example to not live by. It is important that God's people know that they can depend on the psalmist to be faithful to the Lord. But then he goes one step further into the heart of the matter. And in verse 19, he says, In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That is another verse that backs this one up. The psalmist essentially says, Because you have set me free, because you have done so much for me, I will, one, keep my vows and show my faithfulness to you in front of everyone, so they will know that I can be counted on to be where God wants us to be and be on time where God wants us to meet. Praise you in the courts of the Lord's house in front of the whole city. Part of being faithful to the Lord is showing up to worship Him at every opportunity. Part of rendering to the Lord thanksgiving for all He does for us is, in fact, is... is Okay, let me start, say it again. Part of being faithful to the Lord is showing up to worship Him in every opportunity that we have. Part of rendering to the Lord thanksgiving for all He does for us is the fact that I have made the vow to Him to always be where He wants me to be and when He wants me to be there. You see, as a child of God, I'm to be with the saints when they worship. I'm to edify. I'm to support. I'm here to support my brethren. So the first reason I attend, the first reason I attend every time the church attends to meet together is because I'm keeping my vow to show him that I appreciate the fact that I am no longer in bondage to sin. The second reason, in no particular order, is because judgment is based upon obedience. You see, contrary to man's religion and man's word and the lies that have been spawned from the bowels of hell. Man has no right to make law. You can't go to the church of nature and go out on the boat. I love this phrase. I'm going to burn, I'm going I'm to beat this horse to death, okay? I can't go to the church of nature and fish and enjoy what God's created and insult the very fact of what He's done for me. I have to be obedient to what the Scriptures say. For by the Scriptures do I prove and study to strengthen myself against those that try to disprove the Scriptures and those that are trying to, to bring up with false doctrines. 
So the second reason I attend is that I choose to attend every worship service of the church is because I am judged whether I obey God or not. Many people who habitually skip church on Sunday evening and or Wednesday evening usually do so because they feel it is a realm of choice. They treat worship attendance the same way they would treat any good suggestion. Oh, I'm sorry. If you read the verse of the text, Hebrews 10, chapter 24 and 25, it says, Forsake not the assembly. It doesn't say, if you choose, or if you want to, or if you don't feel right, forsake the assembly. It says, forsake not the assembly of ourselves together, as a matter of some is. It's a command. It is not a suggestion. If it was a, if it was a suggestion that they are free to accept or reject with no real consequences what these people feel. They think, oh, well, Wednesday night, I don't need to go. That's for those people that really need, you know, I'm so much further ahead. I've been a member of the church for 20-some-odd years. I don't need Wednesday night class. All they're going to do is talk about baptism. Uh, Somebody's going to bring somebody in there, and I just got to listen to the same thing all over again. No, sir. No, ma'am. That's not the way this works. Forsake not the assembly. In this discussion with these members, we will send response to show me where the Bible says I must be at every assembly at the Lord's church. To which I will reply, look, let's, look at this and let's look at this for a moment. Uh, let's look at the book of Hebrews. The Hebrew writer was writing to people who were leaving Christ and returning to Judaism. You see... Judaism was a physical worship as we know. Judaism would have been like denominationalism that we have today. They would have had the choirs. They would have had the guy with his collar on backwards. They'd have had the fancy clothes, the big hats. Whatever it takes for you to feel warm and fuzzy when you walk in the door. Well, God doesn't care if you feel warm and fuzzy. God wants obedience. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. You see, these people were, they were members of the church, but they were returning back to Judaism. And they were forsaking Christ and returning back to their old ways. This is because they had stopped studying and listening to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. For the time you ought to be teachers, ye have that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Why is this? Because they couldn't take the fact that there was more study. It was more than just show up, feel good, and go home. See, that's not what we're here for. We're here to what? Study to show ourselves approved. We're to be like the Bereans. Verse 13. For one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Let's read that again. For everyone that, is uns- that useth milk is unskillful in the word. Or in other words, of putting this is ignorant in the word because they haven't studied to show themselves approved. But strong meat belong to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we'll stay in the same book. Therefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Another reason that they were falling away is because some of them had begun, had begun to drift away from the fellowship of the saints, 
So he warns them. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. And I'm sorry to jump around so quick, but we've got to keep a, a continuous thought going here. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Let us not go back to Judaism. For he that is faithful, that, or he is faithful that promised. This is God he's talking about. Let us consider one another to provoke into the love and the good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, as so much as you see the day approaching. Verse 23 encourages the Christian to hold fast to the profession of faith without wavering. Then he says the part of the Christian living is to provoke one another to love and good works. Then he goes forward to say that the way to this is done is by assembling together at every opportunity. See, folks, when you come here, when you come around the brothers and sisters in Christ, when you attend at every time there's the, door, the doors are open, when the body comes together, it only becomes stronger. When you sit at home without eating, you become weak. You wither away. It affects the entire body. Now, he is saying that there are some who forsake the assembly, and by forsaking the assembly, they do not encourage others. And they do harm to the profession of faith. Then he makes it clear that if they continue in this lifestyle, it will result in complete drifting away. Back to their previous lives, where they can be found with no forgiveness of sin. See verse 26. I understand fully that the warning is about the complete drifting away from Christ, and yet... I also understand that a drifting away does not happen at once. It begins with a soul simply taking himself from the assemblies together with the saints whenever they assemble together. I don't need to go. They're not going to miss me. Looks at the list. The brothers didn't put me on. They don't need me as a server. They don't need me to to read announcements. They're not going to miss me this morning. Well, there's the beginning of the end. Because you've already made the decision that you're going to worship the wrong God. There was an example given a few Sundays ago. This example was a neighbor that sees a car missing. And I said it earlier, from the driveway every Sunday morning and evening and Wednesday night. You see, these people begin to notice a pattern. They see that you're not in board shorts and a tank top heading to the gym. They see that you're getting in your car to head to church services. you got your Bible in your hand. you got a smile on your face because you know, you know you're going to go eat. You're going to go be strengthened. Don't think that people don't notice this. People aren't stupid. People notice what you're doing. The neighbor decides to follow that car one day and ends up at the worship services because he's followed you to the front door. He finds out because of his curiosity what he needs to do to be saved. He hears a preacher get up here and preach, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. I told you I'd use it, Stu. And he said to them, He that believe, earn. And he said, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now listen, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. He sees. 
that baptism was commanded on the day of Pentecost when the church came into existence. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He has shown the last time that he was in church service that denominationalism had taught him wrong. They taught him that all he had to do was believe in his heart, which I've still tried to study and find in the scriptures, and I haven't found yet. But see, if you'd have missed services, he'd have missed all that. That blood would have stained your hands. It is our responsibility. It is our duty. It is our charge, as we, as we just heard in Mark chapter 16, verses 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Do you think God wasted his words? I've never known God to waste any one of his actions he ever has made. Everything God does has been for a purpose and for some reason he's had planned that we haven't found out yet. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, so much as you see the day approaching. You see, folks, it's not always about our spiritual meal. It could be about the life of another individual that's watching your example. It could be a brother or sister that's weak, and the very fact that you love the Lord enough to show up to, to worship Him could save their souls as well. It's more than just about the me, It's about the team. It's about the body. And the body needs all of its members in order to be strong. If there's any of those here that need to come forward this evening, either to repent, they need prayer, or of those that need to obey the gospel, please come forward. His invitation is extended. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash PSL Church of Christ. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PSL Church of Christ. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.